just want to take a moment to talk, get back to my roots, chat while smoking a cigarette. started this whole podcast series and more that I have dubbed the Naughty Knot. Originally, I started the website so that I could apply to a Microsoft job in Japan for 2022. Then I started the podcast because I started an LLC that was unrelated to my desire to work at Microsoft. And I developed a love for podcasting, and I kept doing it because I just enjoyed it. Okay. Developed a little bit of a system for creating episodes that is getting better still. just very slow. I'm not trying to take the world by storm. But if you guess that I'm trying to take over the world, you're half right. It's just, I'm doing it my way. But I feel like I've already done it. It's just that nobody cares. Because they know it's not true. They know it's false. Call me the false king. Prefer to be the false king. Because I still feel like it's all my fault. Despite all the evidence to the contrary, how could it be all my fault? It's indicative of a pattern of behavior. And I am guilty of. That so many others have been guilty of. My generation has been dubbed the generation that doesn't care. By some. It's not an unfair title. It's well earned. Well deserved. Well fitting. The time is now 3.57 a.m. I'm supposed to be teaching geometry at 9 o'clock in five hours, and I haven't slept. Probably not healthy. How can somebody like me be entrusted with the minds of children? You may ask yourself. I've passed all my tests, and then some. I've worked hard to get to where I am, even though where I am isn't where I want to be. Maybe in some alternate reality where the me I am tried a little harder, I could have been something great by now. But instead, I'm just doing a shitty podcast to an audience of four. And I'm loving it. It's the only time I feel normal. I don't feel normal when I'm working at my other job, my weekend job. I feel out of place, out of sorts, 
out of organization, out of my mind. Normality. Normality is in the mind of those who don't feel normal. And only those. What is normal? Normal is the force that acts against the force you input upon the system. It's what stabilizes you against yourself. ideas for classes. None of them are classes that would be accepted by the current purview of the institution that is the American education system, except in the form of a wild card substitute who wasn't given a lesson plan to teach with, to follow, to abide by. some point, I'm going to be teaching one of my wild card lessons, and it's going to be remembered by young and impressionable students, and that's a responsibility that others probably don't want me to bear. The way things are going, there's not much choice to it all. The way things are going... Schools are going to return to campus by April 6th, which means I'll be finally entering on campus, much to the horror of certain teachers who I'd like to call professors that aren't, because they haven't gotten there yet, because people like me get in the way. Head flag. Head flag. Moving on. Let's go to one of my own. Entry 85, 11.25 p.m., July 21st, 2016. Today is the eve of my 26th birthday. On my way out to smoke, I found Tong, Kyle, Tony, and sobbing in the hallway around the corner from my single room. I asked if I could sit with him, and he consented. He was in the middle of a phone call, so I waited until he was done. When he finished, we proceeded to discuss what was troubling him. He confided in me that a friend of his, whom he deeply respected, had told him that his life was essentially meaningless. I responded that, to restate what I had said, he couldn't allow such vitriolic statements like that to bring him down. Our conversation soon moved from such depressing subject matter to more encouraging topics. It felt so good to comfort someone in their time of need. He even acknowledged that my 
attempt at consoling him meant a lot to him in spite of my inability to, at times, form a cohesive sentence. I find myself unable to move my pen any further regarding this topic, so I'm just going to sign off and leave it at that. Signed. Myself. The next page is a drawing. That's somewhat suggestive, somewhat very confusing. I believe it's supposed to be a drawing of my depiction of the universe. Maybe I'll post a picture of it somewhere. It's a scavenger hunt. Memo notes. Oh, where do they go? These, those memories I grow. The memories not so new and bright. They all fade away, but if they should stay, they'd keep me up at night. Ideas are either theories or experiments to test those theories. Level three ideas. Lots of other things too. Level two ideas. And level one ideas. I should do something. I read in the reverse order. Level one. Level one ideas. I should do something. Level two. And level three. Lots of other things too. Everything's. I'm not sure what that's supposed to say. Oh, this one. Where light may be brilliant, the darkness is always there. I put a lot of work into that drawing. Very big, special drawing. Entry X. My kind of love is when you and another have mutual respect for one another, which is bred from a fondness for complete competing with each other over control of the situation or otherwise becoming free of self-analysis. Today kind of sucked. I got called on I got called out for mentioning my co-worker bartender at the start of a song. Still a little PO that she didn't come to me first. Whatever. I'll be over it by sunrise. I am non-determinate, found unguarded. I need things that I can click on. Other than that, I am an agent of balance. Just be nice. Eleven twenty-two. How I've been feeling. Self-defeating due to strong resistance to hard work from lack of exposure and an overly unrealistic attachment to my comfort zone. Prevailing thoughts. <clears throat> Continuing to spiral downwards. Dramatic increase in violent musings. 
fears of becoming something I can't control. Doubts of ever having control are likely just a mask over guilt at having total control. Comforts. Life has a purpose. Goals slash destiny. Agent of balance without uniformity. Psychotic? Consequences of maintaining a child's mindset. Relatable to children. Good for teachers. Also a negative. Good for pedophiles. Concerns. Creepy. I have been called this my entire life. What could it lead to? Lack of tangible motivation to really work hard. Cannot function on full medication. I crossed out the words. Nebulous nature of the future makes for insubstantial. And then I rewrote it as cannot function on full medication. Call to action. Control the controllables. Entry 86, 11-23-2016. Back to normal. So I had my first non-drug-induced manic episode since February last night. It was brought on after I asked to be allowed to come into work a couple hours late so I could attend my support group meeting. It had been three weeks since I had been able to actually participate due to one of my managers having taken off work for two weeks. At the meeting, I was able to share the fact that I derived sexual pleasure from the thought of being mercilessly punished past the extreme limits of human endurance. Well, I didn't go into that much detail. In fact, I thought I was fantasizing about torture, but I was told that torture involves causing actual damage to the body, while what I was imagining was merely the experience of pain. I guess it's a rather extreme fine line, but it can, but it came as quite a relief regardless. Anywho, I took a full dose of all my prescribed meds when I got home, and I feel pretty clear-headed now, so I'm a go nai nai. 12.35. Oh my god. I think that I am always in the middle of whatever creations are important. This cannot be denied, but not all creations should be brought to life. Drawings. More and more drawings. Theory of motion. There is no space, only motion and light. And there is great darkness. But there will slash can slash must be the light. Always and forever. There must always be the light. Near the more to say black sands project hashtag black sands project that doth cometh is not for all to who see
State of Mind, 12-6-2016 Here I brood, no contemplating, Trying not to be rude or complicating, For I feel all just too intimidating, And I know just how to be. Where others may think that I am good, I never felt they actually would, But now it seems I could just be The one and only who is me. Okay, I'm going to pause from that for now and do some editing. Hat flag. Thank you for listening to my show once again. This has been DJ Mistake signing off. Bye now. Thank you for coming and listening to my show once again. I'm sorry I've been away for a while. Um, I started a new job. I've been working more at my primary job as a substitute teacher. And the two combined have proven to make it difficult for me to record just because I've been drained. Um, this is Kai Schwa, your loyal host. Yours truly, and thank you so much for being here. Uh, we are going to continue with my mother's memoirs. Post tense. 1970s, age 12 to 22. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Following Lyndon Johnson's War on Poverty and War on Crime, Richard Nixon started the War on Drugs in 1971 to devastate his harshest critics, blacks and anti-war activists. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news, Nixon's domestic policy chief John Ehrlichman told Harper's reporters years later. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Excerpt from How to Be an Anti-Racist, page 25. Thus, blacks and anti-war activists were being consciously vilified and thrown in jail for drug use for political reasons. In seventh grade at Burlingame Intermediate School, girls still needed to wear dresses and you could not vote until you were until you were 21. I wore a dress but got called into the principal's office for wearing excessive makeup meant for young girls with too much eyeshadow, but they decided to apply it to me, who was dressed as Raggedy Ann. That all changed by 1971. Airline flight attendants still needed to wear skirts and dresses until 2003, so don't laugh. Getting to wear pants at school was a big deal. Jeans were in. The Vietnam War was raging, and the, th- and the thinking was, if you could be drafted, go to war, and be killed, you should be able to vote. Thus, the voting age was changed in time for the 1972 election. The Hobbit was the J.R. Tolkien book that everyone was reading. I was not even into pleasure reading. Not sure I read it then. LSD was prevalent, and I spent at least one day high at school but didn't get caught. We had a few other trips with Carol Sue, Lynn and Root, and Lynn Root, 
probably save those stories for a different section. I met my good friend TC, whom I remain friends with to this day, along with her siblings, Colleen and Belinda. We took the bus to school and back. Some days, Jim Barnes and I would ride our bikes. Mine was a green Murray Stingray. It took about an hour, so we had to leave early. I remember bumming for spare change so I could buy a grilled ham and cheese sandwich out of the vending machines. They had replaced the cafeteria at school. By 8th grade, my allowance was $3 per week. I could save for three weeks and buy a lid, one ounce of pot, roll it into joints and sell them for $1 each. My first venture into entrepreneurship. I was dating Tim Waite, hanging out in my father's workshop that I converted into the shed with with black lights, the red wicker couch perfect for making out, and the big overstuffed chair that some guy carried over from a house that had burned down at Howard Avenue and Stanley Road, or maybe Claremont. There was also the tie-dye shirt, tie-dye sheet hung to cover the shopsmith. Everyone that came over signed the sheet with permanent pen. I think I might still have it somewhere in a box. We spent time at the roller rink in San Mateo and played bumper pool at the Burlingame Recreation Center Teen Club. I was very good at bumper pool. I joined the San Francisco Ensemble, a theater group that performed Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew. We performed all over the Bay Area, including Pacific High School, a free school in La Honda, where students were free to study what they wanted or not. Wanting to go back one weekend, I left home after school, leaving my parents a note telling them not to worry and that I'd be home on Sunday. They worried. They found my diary. With the help of the sheriff, they found me. That was the beginning of the end of good relationships with my parents for 10 years. I was 13. I informally changed my name to Marion Logan. At the end of 8th grade, my parents thought it would be fun for me, e.g. let's get her away from all those kids, to spend the summer with my Uncle Jim in Oregon. It was a great summer, listening to Leon Russell cassette tapes and by night, if the weather was just right, KGO on the radio. High school years were September 1972 to June 1975. I graduated a year early, having gone to summer school to complete driver's ed in U.S. history. I was also helped by tearing my knee cartilage during field hockey as a freshman, reducing my need for PE classes to only two years. Girls' swimsuits were left over from the 1940s, I think. My mother probably wore the same ones. I met Paul Carter at the coffee house my freshman year. We were together for two years. He would hitchhike from San Bruno to visit, to visit me. On the weekends, we'd drink Budweiser beer, hang out in various parks, protest the Vietnam War, or go to Winterland to see the Grateful Dead or the Beach Boys. I had a dream of us in a four-poster bed and spent my last high school year taking shop class the first girl admitted, and building the bed. I won the Senior Art Award for it. Summer 1975, Brother Jim and I traveled to visit Aunt Dorothy in L.A., Cousin Dennis in Phoenix, and Four Corners. Then we, then we drove we drove fast to stay ahead of a storm in Colorado. We went through Fields, Oregon, Uncle Jim had died by then, and landed in Port Townsend, Washington, at the town tavern in its heyday with my friend Muffy who turned out to be my third cousin, starting my interest in genealogy. She and I went to Vancouver hitchhiking after a ferry ride, then home by August in time to babysit for my sister and her husband when they left to spend a month in in Alaska. I got to take care of Jenny, Terry, and Jeff. I had been babysitting them on and off for five years, but this was a whole month playing mom, the best birth control a person could ask for. 
last half of the decade was spent working at Drury Photocolor, selling books door-to-door for Southwestern Company in Pennsylvania, and then farming pictures at the Great American Framing Shop. Framing pictures at the Great American Framing Shop. All while going to college of San Mateo. Though my initial major was biology, a high school field trip to the standard oil refinery because I was a chemistry because I was in a chemistry class, hard but fun, influenced me to change my major to engineering. Meeting Jeff Baker at Drury's influenced me to change it again to electronics technology, and listening to a lot of Bruce Springsteen with Asbury Park friend Pete Shorey at Winterland. Selling books door-to-door for Southwestern along with Social Security money received because of my father's disability, emphysema, all allowed me to go to Cal, Pal- Cal Poly. A professor, I had defined, a professor I had defined success for me. Success is having a job you look forward to each morning and a home life you look forward to returning to each night. It, was, it has stuck with me ever since. I interviewed for several jobs during my senior year. I really wanted to work on developing holographic theaters, so I interviewed with Spectrophysics for a field engineering job in Europe. I also interviewed for several jobs at Intel where my brother Gene worked. They had an opening in their Santa Cruz facility. I'd always wanted to live in Santa Cruz after vacationing there every year as a child. Intel could also hire me in December with a start date in June. I said yes. Needing seven additional units to graduate, I signed up for a semester at sea. Robin and I were supposed to go together, but she could not acquire financing. Not sure I could either. I was going to borrow the money from Dad. I would be paying, I would be paying it back at $300 per month, more than I lived on. My professor said to look at it in terms of regrets. What would I regret if I borrowed the money? That I'd have a big debt for three years. And if I didn't, then I missed the opportunity to travel to exotic places. I might regret it my whole life. The decision was made. I was on my way for a semester at sea. Because of my hesitancy, I took 21 units my last semester and graduated in December of 1979. 1980s, adulthood. In the late 70s, cocaine was the drug of choice. You stayed up at night, had a beer and a line every now and then, and which kept the conversation going well into the morning. Between Jeff's birthday, December 4th, my graduation from Cal Poly Christmas, Lynn's birthday was the 29th, New Year's Eve, my birthday, and my departure for semester at sea, there was plenty of reason to celebrate. I'm glad I left or addiction might have taken hold. When you do a line in the morning to get started on the day, it's a sign you are getting close. Looking back, I'm very glad I had an exciting trip trip ahead and a good job at Intel waiting for me when I returned. Remembering an earlier self-rule, never get pregnant or addicted, also helped. February 2nd, my parents dropped me off at the train station where my boyfriend from Cal Poly, John, picked me up and we drove to Long Beach, stopping at Disneyland on the way. How did the trip make me who I am today? It probably made me a little braver. I was a wallflower, an observer. I had been that way since grammar school when I had pretended to be a spy. I made enough friends to have people to travel with in Hawaii. The first night in Japan, I wanted to take a Japanese bath. I got a card from our on-ship coordinator to tell the taxi driver to take me to the baths and the ship-side address to get me back. The driver did not want to take a single woman to the baths. I chickened out. I stayed by myself on board ship. Met a few girls to travel with in Taiwan. 
China was a coordinated managed trip. I met Jane on the way to Singapore. We were great travel and shipboard friends and remain so to this day. I learned that having one good friend is better than a group of acquaintances. I tried to teach that to my children. You don't need to be immensely popular. You just need one or a few good friends. I still believe that. Over 60 years, I've collected many good friends. My chosen family. I think I'm going to pause. This section is so long. It's been 11 minutes and 37 seconds. We're going to read more scary stories to tell in the dark, collected by Alvin Schwartz, drawings by Stephen Gamel. Clinkity clink. Put this in the cup. An old lady got sick and died. She had no family and no close friends. So the neighbors got a grave digger to dig a grave for her. And they had a coffin made and they placed it in her living room. As was the tradition, they washed her body and dressed her up in her best clothes and put her in the coffin. When she died, her eyes were open wide staring at everything and seeing nothing. The neighbors found two old silver dollars on her dresser, and they put them on her eyelids to keep them closed. They lit candles and sat up with her so that she would not be too lonely on that first night that she was dead. The next morning, a preacher came and said a prayer for her, and everybody went home. Later, the gravedigger arrived to take her to the cemetery and bury her. He stared at the silver dollars on her eyes, and he picked them up. How shiny and smooth they were, how thick and heavy, how beautiful he thought, just beautiful. He looked at the dead woman, with her eyes wide open he felt she was staring at him, watching him hold her coin, gave him a creepy feeling. He put the coins back on those eyes of hers to keep them closed. Before he knew it, his hands reached out again and grabbed the coins and stuck them in his pockets. Then he grabbed a hammer and quickly nailed shut the lid on the coffin. Now you can't see anything, he said to her. Then he took her out of the cemetery and he buried her as fast as he could. When the gravedigger got home, he put the two silver dollars in a tin box and shook it. The coins made a cheerful rattling sound. The gravedigger wasn't feeling cheerful. He couldn't forget those eyes looking at him. When it got dark, a storm came up and the wind started blowing. It blew all around the house. It came in through the cracks and around the windows and down the chimney. Bazoo, it went. Bzee, bzee, bzoo. The fire flared and flickered. The gravedigger threw some fresh wood on the fire, got into bed, and pulled the blankets up to his chin. The wind kept blowing. Bzoo, it went. Bzee, bzee, bzoo. The fire flared and flickered and cast evil-looking shadows on the walls. The gravedigger lay there thinking about the dead woman's eyes staring at him. The wind blew stronger and louder, and the fire flared and flickered, and popped and snapped, and he got more and more scared. Suddenly he heard another sound. Clinkety-clink, clinkety-clink, it went. Clinkety-clink, clinkety-clink. It was the silver do dollars rattling in the tin box. 
Hey, the gravedigger shouted. Who's taking my money? And all he heard was the wind blowing. Bzee, bzee, bzoo. And the flames flaring and flickering and snapping and popping. And the coins going clinkety-clink. He leapt out of bed and chained up the door. Then he hurried back. But his head had barely touched the pillow when he heard clinkety-clink, clinkety-clink. Then he heard something way off in the distance. It was a voice crying. Where is my money? Who's got my money? Who? Who? And the wind blew. Bzee, bzee, bzoo. And the fire flared and flickered and snapped and popped. And the money went clinkety-clink, clinkety-clink. The gravedigger was really scared. He got out of bed again and piled all the furniture against the door. And he put a heavy iron skillet over the, over the tin box. And then he jumped back into bed and covered his head with the blankets. But the money rattled louder than ever. And way off, a voice cried, Give me my money. Who's got my money? Who? Who? And the wind blew and the fire flared and flickered and snapped and popped. And the gravedigger shivered and shook and cried, Oh, lordy, lordy. Suddenly the front door flew open. And in walked the ghost of the dead woman with her eyes wide open, staring at everything and seeing nothing. And the wind blew, bzee, bzee, bzoo. And the money went clinkety-clink, clinkety-clink. And the fire flared and flickered and snapped and popped. And the ghost of the dead woman cried, Oh, where is my money? Who's got my money? Who? Who? And the gravedigger moaned, Oh, lordy, lordy. The ghost could hear her money going clinkety-clink, clinkety-clink in the tin box, but her dead eyes couldn't see the box, so she reached out with her arms and tried to find it. As you tell the story, stand up with your arms in front of you and begin groping about around you. The wind went bzee, bzee, bzoo, and the money rattled, clinkety-clink, clinkety-clink, and the fire flared and flickered and snapped and popped. And the gravedigger shivered and shook and moaned, Oh, lordy, lordy! And the woman cried, Give me my money! Who's got my money? Who? Who? Now quickly jump at somebody in the audience and scream, You've got it! Still smoking. Still fucking smoking. Is that against the law? Is that a crime? People are trying to make it one. Is it wrong to smoke around children? Most people would say yes. I'm one of those who would agree. I try my very, very best to never smoke around children, especially my own. But it has a scent that lingers and is recognizable immediately upon sensing it.
There's no hiding a smoking cigarette. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying it. Even though so many other people already have. This is a podcast. Straight from the horse's mouth. There is no script. Not really. I read stuff, but it's always the first reading that you hear. It's always the first draft that I publish. I try to do as little editing as possible on purpose. Just to see what comes out. This is just my little experiment with not. I hope you like it.